Welcome to All Power to the Developing, a podcast of the Eastside Institute, where social justice, human development, and community building come together. This is where you will meet activists, artists, teachers, scholars, helpers, and healers who are bringing creativity, hope, and possibility to individuals and communities all over the world. everyone doing out there welcome to all power to the developing podcast today i'm your host desiree wanden how's everyone doing out there today good morning good afternoon and good evening today i have a very special guest who's on this episode of all power to developing today's guest is a long-standing community member of bushwick brooklyn today's guest is also a dance pioneer a world traveler a world teacher someone who's had a major impact in his community over the last three decades. Today, I have a special guest with me. His name is Ralph Casanova. How are you doing, Ralph? How you doing, Des? How's everything? Everything is going good. How's everything with you? I'm just blessed to wake up in the morning, go to work, take care of my family, and whatever I could do for today, try to help out for tomorrow. (laughs) That sounds good. That sounds good. So, Ralph, you originally come from the Bushwick, uh, Brooklyn area part of new york and that's where you come from and that's where you grew up and that uh area is what gave you a lot of your culture your heritage and projected you into your early dance um that you are part of could you speak a little bit about your upbringing in the bushwick brooklyn area and how that neighborhood impacted you well i I was born in the bronx in 1969 when i was going to be six i moved to bushwick brooklyn and um you know, we moved because uh, at that time, a lot of the landlords was telling certain um, people who lived in the building that uh, they were going to get the, the house burned down because of uh, insurance. They needed money for insurance because many people was coming back from Vietnam or certain parts of the, uh, of the war at that time and wasn't paying rent. So... My, my dad knew the landlord very good, and he's like, listen, I need for you guys to move because, uh, you know, people ain't paying rent, and I got to get paid. So we moved to Bushwick, Brooklyn, and I lived on Cornelius Street, and I, that's where I grew up at. And how was being in the neighborhood at that time? I'm sure the poverty that existed in the Bronx around that time was similarly existed in Bushwick, Brooklyn, how did that impact your upbringing at an early age? Well, you know, at six years old, you don't know too much. But as you got old, as I got a little older um, in Bushwick, um, it was a lot of gangs back then, you know. So, but um, where I lived at was a, I lived on right across on Cornelia. It's a school, 106, where I went to. And, um, the, you know, I could say that the kids that I, that lived around the neighborhood, you know, they were good. And when I was five, I started doing martial arts. So as a little kid, I was always doing, you know, karate and stuff. So I grew up, you know, in a teenage age and I played piano and drums. My father was a famous um, timbales and conga player. And I played the piano and the drum. So I had also some of the members of BT Express and Crown Heights Affair that live on my block. 
So as a kid, I used to play drums. And, you know, when they have a function down in the basement, I would go on there and play with them. So no, nobody knew as a five-year-old kid I was how good I could play drums, you know, because my father had me playing every day, you know, for two or three hours, you know, playing the piano one hour, playing the drums. And then if I wanted to learn how to play something else, you know, it depends. But those are the two instruments I really started with. And how did how did um, being in that community and and and, and being with art, fellow artists and people in that community creating music together? How did that that impact your upbringing? And how did that turn into you later dancing and getting into dance? Well, you know, I was always a good guy, kid, you know, until I got to the middle, like teenage age. And um, I was very friends with um, some of the baby rebels, you know, and that was that was the gang that was around the neighborhood. They were the devil rebels with the, the, the brick brothers. And um, my mother didn't know that I was hanging around with them for a while. But I, I, would, I knew that if I did anything wrong, my mom Back then, my mom was very strict. You know, I didn't want to disappoint her. And she, and I know I would get a beating, man. Like, forget about it. So I, I was down with them, and but my mom never knew it. But I never did any bad stuff, you know. They Mostly they used me for was to fight, you know. Like, if the big rebel, the rebels, the big guys, they, they had a problem with somebody younger, my age, they would have me fight because I knew I could fight, I could fight you know. Cause they didn't want to hit the, the kid because he was young. But after a while, I didn't like it. And I just got to try to, you know, I got into more the dancing and, and DJing. And that's what took me away from that. Mm. So how do you feel the dancing and the DJing took you away from the street life? What was it about the dancing and what was it about the music that made you want to move away from that street life? Well, the, uh, the guy from Beat Express, the, 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 the guitar player, his name was Cookie. And his, his cousin was a guy named Big Bob. He used to play at the skating ring, at the Empire Skating Ring in Brooklyn. Empire Skating Ring in Brooklyn is one of the first skating rings in New York City. It was, I think it was founded in 1933. And... Um, when I used to, we used to have block parties and or we had party, he had parties in the basement. Um, you know, all these records he would be playing. And my father and my older brother and my older sister, we had a lot of records, you know? So I, I, you know, I didn't have mixers and stuff like that. We had turntables and speakers. So I would be like, man, I want to, you know, I want to be like this guy. Like, you know, he rocks parties. And my mother, she was a great salsa dancer. So she, she, you know, she was known for, for the dancing. And, you know, that's how I learned some of the dancing moves. Because whenever I dance, I would, my mother would see me dance. She goes, why, what you doing? And I'm like, oh, there's this dance called the rock dance. And I said, she goes, what's that? And I said, oh, it's a dance. You do this and that. And she says, well, won't you watch some, some tapes of Fred Astaire, Gene Kelly, the Nicholas Brothers, and stuff like that. So I started watching those, those guys and, I said, wow, you know, I started looking at dance and the dancing from that made, I picked up some steps and I put into the rock and, and then, you know, I, I just, I knew how to, I knew how to dance salsa a little bit. So, um, I just, you know, as a kid, you just get into it and then you get, and you're a good dancer, you get popular. Mm -hmm. I got a name from that. Plus I, everybody knew me for baseball. I was a good baseball player 
And um, some people knew me knew that I I did martial arts and a little bit of boxing, but um, but everybody you know saw me and I used to come home when I came from karate school. They used to see me with my gi. So a lot of kids in the block they knew that I could fight. So, but I, I didn't like I, I never liked looking for trouble or nothing like that. I was always a good try to be a good kid, you know. So that that's the life that I tried to portray as I grew older. Mm. And once you found dance, it seems that things kind of took off for you. You were part of a very legendary crew that was developed out of Bushwick, Brooklyn. You ended up becoming a a a performer, a a uh, DJ, a community activist, um, throwing your own events, and subsequently you threw a, an event called the Dollar Jam. Could you speak a little bit about the Dollar Jam, what the Dollar Jam was? Yeah, in, in 90, 93, 94, um, I was still doing parties like Sweet Sixteens and I was, or, or weddings and, and certain other parties that people hired me because at that time, I, I had a lot of equipment. I had so much records and stuff. And I remember that I went to the, I was hearing about Zulu Nation, that they was having an event. And I went. And I, when I went there, it wasn't all about the dancing. It was more about the, it was about DJs. And it was more about emceeing, you know. Um, I guess the hip hop was dying out, you know, in the, in the 90s. So, when I went there, I saw some guys who did some break dancing and stuff, and um, and I just got down. And they was like, "Yo, who are you?" And I was like, "Oh, I'm King Uprock," you know. And um, they said, "Where you from?" I said, "I'm from Bushwick. I'm in Dynasty Rockers." And they was like, "Yo, we never seen that dance," you know. A lot of them never saw it the way I rock, you know. And then I was like, "Yeah, well, you know, I grew up and where I grew up, there was like over a hundred rock." rocking groups you know dance groups and i started giving them a little history and i was like yo this was the zulu nation because i always heard of zulu nation in the 80s but you know i i didn't know they threw jams because you know they were throwing jams so i when i just went because my cousin lives in the bronx and he's like yo you should come to zulu nation party and i said all right i went and i got down and then i decided like what what get me what got me to do dollar jam is that they talked about a history about more of the Bronx, but not Brooklyn and Queens, you know? And I said, yo, why you guys don't give Brooklyn and Queens any credit? And it was like, no, you know, we're, we're from the Bronx, this is where it started. But I'm like, in 1969, the 70s, early 70s, there were guys doing this too. You know, if you say you did it, we were doing it. So I decided to... Uh, you know, just say to myself, I got to do something to make noise. So when I had a black party on Hancock Street in Brooklyn between Knickerbock and Irving, I was DJing and I got and I started getting down and I was I used to break dance, too. And I started spinning and, and up rocking and everything. And some of the kids, my son's friends was like, yo, they, they didn't know I could do all that. So they was like, yo, they were telling my son, Jonathan. Can your dad teach us? And so my son came up to me and said, Dad, and uh, my Nikki and the rest of the guys, they want to learn how they want to learn how to break dance. I said, Oh, all right. So in my basement, I started teaching them. And from there, that's when I decided I wanted to do a jam. But the jams back in the days was like ten dollars. 
And I felt like kids didn't have that much money. So I decided to call it a dollar jam, which I still continue doing dollar jams. Mm. And you started the dollar jam initially because you felt that the borough that you come from Brooklyn wasn't quite getting the, the credit and it's, and it's what it brought to the table in terms of developing the culture of hip hop and pushing the dance forward. It started out for that reason, but what did you notice about the Dollar Jam throughout all your years throwing it? Did you notice um, it impacting the youth and other peoples in different ways besides the original reason that you threw it? Well, yes, and the thing is that you have to understand when you, when you have a mindset that you want to do things, right? Sometimes the people that you want to bring into the picture to help build what you want to build, they, and they're not do, they haven't done it for years, they kind of think you're a little crazy, you know, because a lot of people used to tell me, you still do that dance? Man, you, that's the old thing, man. You need to get into the new thing. And I'm like, nah, nah, this is, I love this, and I'll do any other, I, you know, I dance hustle, and I dance other styles. And, uh, but when I had the, my, my son and the guys, uh, Hancock, they used to call themselves the Hancock Breakers. And I started teaching them. I met Brace Crew, you know, that you know, I was doing an interview in, in Bushwick Park. And um, I met, you know, Wack and those guys, and I started teaching them. So I had to get St. Barbara's Church on Manahan between Wilson and Central. Uh, I started giving free classes. So I said to myself, for me to make this build, I need to teach and make a noise with these kids so that other kids in other boroughs going to want to know. And then eventually, as I went to other places in Queens and stuff like that, I started dancing. I met, you know, Supreme Beans, and I met some other crews. And, you know, and that's how I got, I said to myself, I'm going to teach these kids first so that when I, the Dollar Gen will keep growing and growing and growing. And that's what I did. And that was my accomplishment to, to give classes. So I would give classes on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays from six to nine and it was free i didn't charge no money so. and you throwing these classes in order to give the youth uh, uh, a creative outlet a uh, place for them to be what why was there such a focus on the youth for you because um in every in every decade you know even like today you know, it's the same as yesterday. You have a lot of these kids who don't have a dad or maybe has only a mom or, you know, you know, the most of the kids around are into gangs and drugs and all that. And I said to myself, if I do this, I can help my community mm. to help these kids, hopefully that they like to dance and get away from other, you know, negative things that's going on. And it worked out for me, you know, and, you know, I thought, I know as, as myself, you know, I'm a leader, not a follower, I'm a leader. So if it worked for me, it can work for them. And also I did boxing classes and I did martial arts classes. So um, anything I felt like can help the youth because I have, a, I had a son and then eventually I had two more sons and I had my daughter. So, you know, you you want to what you do for your kids you want to do for others and there are a lot of kids out there they were lost they didn't have nothing they didn't you know they wanted things but they couldn't get to it or they couldn't nobody was there to teach them or give it to them 
So I made it my business to be that guy to give them the opportunity to get into dance and hope or they would go come to the boxing class the other day. I have other days I would do boxing and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I've helped many other people in the world, DJ and, and dancing, you know, and it feels good that you can do something for your community. Mm. You know, I don't know how other people expect money, but my mother used to always tell me, God will bless you the more you do for people. It's not all about money all the time. Because when you die, where the money's going to go? It don't mean nothing. But when you teach a kid, the memory of you and the impact you do will live forever. Mm. And throughout your years of the Dollar Jam, um, so many youth that, that today are now adults, have some of their own programs, are doing other things in their lives, have gone through your program. When you when you see that, what is the how did that help you develop as a human being? How did what did that do for you? How did it help in your development? Well, the same way I, I've taught them, the way I teach you, you have to teach others. And also t teaching makes you better in your field. You know? And I, you know, I, I've worked in certain city jobs, so um, I'm glad to see, you know, certain individuals who are doing the same thing I'm doing, classes and, and, and now competing and moving up and doing bigger things. I'm there also supporting what they do. Yes, definitely. Um, we're going to take a short commercial break. And when we come back, I, we're going to speak a little bit because not only did you have an impact on the youth, but you also had an impact on your fellow peers that used to dance alongside with you in the 70s and 80s. And you helped them make a comeback into the dance community and help them out in terms of um, bringing their creativity to the forefront. So we're going to speak a little bit about that when we come back. Everyone hold on. Fasten your seatbelts. All power to developing. We'll be back right after a short message. Melissa Meyer, Associate Director of the Eastside Institute. Welcome to All Power to the Developing. I hope you're enjoying today's conversation. In each episode, we introduce you to some amazing performance activists, play revolutionaries, and developmentalists from around the world who talk to us about their creative grassroots efforts to build a better world. If you like what you hear, please follow and share the series. You can find us on Amazon, Spotify, and Podbean. We'd love to hear your comments and ideas. Like everything at the Institute, the growth of all power to the developing depends upon the people who create it and benefit from it. We hope you're one of them. Thanks for your support. And now back to our conversation. We are back. All power to the developing with our guest Ralph Casanova, also known as King Uprock. When we left off, we were talking a little bit about the Dollar Jam and your impact with the youth. One thing to me that was always so uh, remarkable about the Dollar Jam in yourself is not only did you impact the youth to have a place to be creative, to be safe, and to express themselves, but you also went back into your neighborhood and neighboring neighborhoods and around New York City subsequently to find your peers from the 70s and 80s 
that did not know that there was a dance scene still going on. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, um, you know, as as my the the program I was doing the Dollar Jam was getting bigger and bigger. Um, then what happened was I needed some judges, so I said, "Man, I got to get some old school guys." You know, so I started inviting certain old school guys. I I, I was with Mister Loose first. He was in a crew called Born to Rock, and then um, I found Little Dave and Danny Boy, and um, Clarky. And I found Buzz, and then I started just finding many members. But other members that I found that used to dance, uh, a lot of them was married, and I guess they were tied down and working two jobs. They couldn't really come and see what I was doing. They kind of heard about what I was doing. But those who came, came to the event, and I kind of and not you know gave them a, a kind of like a platform so let others know that, these guys that I brought in were one time big in the dance, you know, and they were at, at that time, they were in, in that era. They were part of the, of the big dance scene that, that was in Brooks, Bushwick, Brooklyn, and they yeah. joined a lot of the competitions. Mm. So that I, I kind of helped them get known worldwide because now, you know, as I'm, this is getting bigger, I'm traveling to certain places. Um, People are now, you know, bringing me to different countries to to teach this dance, you know. And um, I was kind of like, you know, letting them know, like, hey, listen, you know, get your passport, get this, if you know, and you can come with me, you know, because a lot of times, you know, I didn't want to go by myself. Yeah. But I was never, I was never, you know, some people were scared to go because they're like, oh, I ain't going to this country. I don't know if I'm going to make it back. And I'm like, never think negative, think yeah. positive. You know, two questions. You know, yeah, two questions, uh, Ralph. One. Today we have Facebook. We got Google. We got things where we can find people. You're talking about a time there was no social media. There was no. You had to really find them. So that was not. I can imagine not the easiest process, and also these guys are coming back to a community that they haven't been a part of in sometimes 15 years, 20 years. Mm -hmm. You're telling them this is still going on. What was their response to you? Were some of them like, really, this is still going on? Were some of them like, nah, I'm not going to come back to that. What are you talking about, Ralph? Were some of them like, what, what? I'm coming next week. What was the response that you got from them? Most of, well, I'll say most of them that I, I told, they thought I was crazy <laughs> they, they thought i was on drugs and i was like you know i don't never did drugs you know i never smoked in my life never did none of that you guys know i used to box i did martial arts and you know and i worked for the city i, I i'm not allowed i can't get you know do drugs but a lot of them thought like i was just living that seven scenes like i was a you know my my mind was somewhere else and then as uh when i said listen just come and when they came they couldn't believe what was going on. It was like, no way, no way this is happening. They couldn't, you know, they didn't believe in it. They couldn't, they didn't believe the work I did. Because, you know, do you know what somebody's telling you? Like, you're telling somebody, listen, I'm going to find a, a time machine. And people are like, yeah, right. And then you, you, finally time, you finally find a time machine. People laugh at you. You know, like, what? You found one? Like, but that was me. I was that guy that said, when I did something, I'm doing it. You know what I'm saying? Plus, I was in the music business, so 
they knew me anyway. But um, but when I did it and they saw that these kids were breakdancing and I had tournament competitions, they really gave me like gave me the, the most respect after that. Like, wow, I would never doubt you again. If you told me you were going to find Jesus, I know you're going to find him. <laughs> mm-hmm. So at these dollar jams, you, know? you have the youth there. You have the elders there. You have parents there. There's music. There's food going on. Talk about just what a jam is. The, you know, a jam is something that's very unique to hip-hop. Um, of course, there's all different types of jams. There's jams with bands. There's jams here. But a hip-hop jam is very free-flowing, right? A lot of different things are going on. Some people are talking. Some people are dancing. It's more of a community of, uh, event. Just uh, talk a little bit about a jam and, and how how you like to throw your dollar jam and the style of the dollar jam. Well, you know, most people wouldn't say jam. Some some people would say an event. Mm. Um when you have it, when you have it, when you have an event or a jam, depending how you want to call it, it's to me it's putting people together. You know, um, many of the parents who knew about the dance that the kids were coming knew about the dance couldn't believe that the kids were doing this dance. That some of them saw or were involved, and some of the elders got to see each other because they haven't seen each other for so long. And they asked me, how did you find such and such and this guy and that guy? And I said, oh, because I knew where they lived. So I went to either to their block and I knew family members. You see, because I was always a person that when I was in a dance group, usually dance group don't dance with other dance group. I danced with everybody. I, I, I was friendly with everybody. Everybody knew who I was. I'm the only Casanova in Bushwick. And plus, I, I knew how to play drums and piano. And I was boxing you know everybody i had a big name and i dj in all the parks so finding these people to be to like a reunion and i would play funk soul disco i wouldn't play anything like with curses i don't play those type of songs in my jam i i try to keep it positive you know and i wanted to keep it where families can come and parents can come and hear the old style music that they haven't heard for years. There was sometimes parents would tell me, I haven't heard that song for 20 something years when I was 15, 14 years old and you took me back into time. So it, it, it also educated the, the youth on the music that their parents listened to. You understand? Because as every decade you see, there's always a new type of music, you know? But I play house music. I, you know, the only thing I didn't play was slow jam because that's different, you know. But uh, this was an event where they were going to learn the music that fits that dance, you know. You know, and if I play a little salsa, so they can un- un- listen to salsa, and they want to know about salsa, I tell them, well, salsa has its own dance, or merengue has its own dance, and bachata has its own dance. So that educates these kids, and some of them became DJs from coming to my event learning about the different music. So it was it was a it was something where you you can get what you want for free and come in the, and, and get it for free and then make your own movement. Mm. That's what it was. So you could be impacted musically, dance yeah. wise, community wise, 
mm-hmm. on many levels you could be impacted. Yes. Was that your was that your ultimate goal with the with the with the dollar gem? Was it for people to come and to be impacted by whatever it was it was, whether it was seeing longtime friends that they haven't seen before, whether it was learning about a dance that they haven't learned, whether it was getting a plate of food and they've been hungry all day, was that was that your ultimate goal with the or did that later become something that stood out to you? Yeah, because, you know, I'm always a, a Bruce Lee fan. And I feel like when Bruce Lee passed away, he left, he didn't get a chance to teach what he wanted to give to the people. I know he must have had a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff that he invented or he wanted to give back. But when he, he passed away at a young age and he left, he left, I guess, the people who did something were the people who was around his age. There's, you know, there was no young young kid that that said, I learned from Bruce Lee and I can take, I'm going to keep his legacy alive. So I had to give back to these kids so that when they get older, they can, you know, I think the legacy of mine, what I did, will be in them. So that legacy will be in others and it will continue being in others so that that when it, you never know when a kid needs, what, needs something. You know, there's a lot of kids out there in countries that don't have money and don't, but they want to learn how to dance or they want to learn how to do this. And if they don't have, and they get that right person to teach them, man, it's like a dream come true. So, you know, some of these kids are just, you know, don't have it. And some kids who do have it, don't even care about it. You know, they have it right there. And I don't want to do that. You know what I'm saying? You have some kids who don't want to, but there's a lot of kids out there. And I know in different countries that don't have, Mm. and, this this is something that's going to change their life, you know. Yeah. And I want to be the one to give them the opportunity. So, but if I got other students that can maybe be at that place in time, would we'll give that kid that opportunity. Mm. Speaking you of know? speaking of other countries, a lot of your work was rooted in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and slowly spread out to the neighboring boroughs, and slowly then spread out to the tri-state area. You then traveled to different states in the United States and then traveled internationally. So this impact that started out in Bushwick, Brooklyn, ended up having a global impact. Speak a little bit about your travels overseas and how it was for you to go into new countries and now come share what you have done here in Bushwick in those countries and impact them. Yeah. as I was doing my jams in the nineties, um, there was no other, there was no other jams. Um, later on, I think Rocksteady, they did an event in 95, 96. They did, a like, uh, two jams, but I was already doing the dollar jam. And then I met London from New York city breakers. who's another famous form of breakdancing group. They're, they're known wide. Uh, they're known in the world too. Well, they battle, they were in B street you know, when New York City Battle Rock Steady. And um, I got the opportunity to help London do Battle of the Boroughs because that's what he wanted to do. And then he did Back to Mecca. So um, I was doing stuff with local people in New York City. And as we did that, there was there was a big scene going on in California, uh, Florida, uh, what else? Uh, Los Angeles, uh, California was having a big scene. And another, you know, overseas countries having breakdancing was like big over there, you know, 
Battle of the Year. They had all these big events, Evolution and everything. So where it it was slowing down in New York, it was big in other countries. So when they would come to a Rocksteady anniversary or any Zulu anniversary, I had the opportunity to go there and then meet these people from other countries. And when they saw me dance, it was like, yo, what's that? I want to learn that dance. I want to learn that dance. Because they knew, they knew the dance, but they didn't. They knew the name of the dance, but they were doing it wrong. And I say wrong, not, I don't want to say really wrong, but they didn't do it the way we, I did it like a professional level. They was, they knew it in the amateur level. Okay. So I brought more of the dance to them. And when they, when they saw me dancing, that's when a lot of the guys who were promoters from different countries asked me, would I be able to go to their country and teach? And I said, oh, that's me. You got the right guy. I like to teach. And I got the opportunity to go to different states and then different countries to share what Bushwick, Brooklyn, rocking tech style looks like and teach the kids over there. When you say different countries, you know, every country has its own identity. Every country has its own style, its own politics. How was it for you coming from Bushwick, Brooklyn to go into different countries where they do things different ways, different languages, and bring what you're doing? How did that uh, help you develop it? How did that... What did it do for you to go to these countries? Well, as, as I went to, to like, let's say Russia, you know, um, they had certain guys that speak kind of good English. So they would be my translator. And um, I got, you know, dancing is universal. You know, it's like a sign language, you know. And, and the only thing that they wanted to know was they didn't know that old style or some of the old music, I guess, um, uh, you know, they knew certain songs, but not like other good good songs. And since I was a DJ and I had all the songs, uh, I was able to educate them. And when I did that, um, the dancing also, I you know, I was even teaching also. That we had a thing called freestyle in New York, freestyle music, where you know, it's like a, uh, it's not even a hip hop, but it's more of a dance style. And I I introduced them to what freestyle music was, and they was like, we never heard of these songs, and I'm like. Well, I guess, you know, if you don't go to New York, you ain't going to know about it. So I kind of brought it to them and they learned a lot. And, you know, I wasn't afraid to go to different countries because I knew that I, I was a positive person. And, and usually everywhere I go, I never have problem with anyone, you know. So if I don't do nothing negative, I should have no problem. And they kind of look up to me because, they, you know, I live in the ghetto. Yeah, but I, I didn't act ghetto. Mm. You know, I acted professional and, you know, certain guys who maybe travel brought that ghetto mentality, you know, to where they went and got into problems. And, you know, so sometimes, you know, we're all not, I let people know we're all not the same. You know, there's some of us always trying to be better in our life. We try to do better in our life, not only in dancing, but education wise, you know what I'm saying? So, um, I got the opportunity to travel, you know, Switzerland, and uh, I went to uh, uh, Ukraine. Uh, I went to a lot of places. Where else? I went to Spain. I went to Germany. I went to, like, different places, and I just started spreading the seed here and there, here and there. And eventually, more people came to New York because they wanted to learn about the dance. And when they came, I, I, you know, I was like a tourist. I was taking them everywhere. Well, you know, there they had jams over here. We had this group. Uh, 
there was a DJs in Queens that were this and that. So they got to learn the history about Brooklyn and Queens mm. because a lot of them knew about Bronx, but nothing about Brooklyn and Queens. Mm. And be it that where this dance comes from, this dance comes from, and this dance and this culture comes from an area of, of, you know, poverty, crime, some of the, the community environment in which some of this was birthed out of, some of these countries are still dealing with that that level of intensity. Do you feel that this dance, you, you mentioned earlier that this is really helping kids, kids that don't have anything. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that mm-hmm. this this dance and this music has benefited these people in other countries that you brought this to? How do you feel it has benefited them and their, their communities? Well, the, the guys who brought me out, um, I eventually have came to one of my dollar jams and saw how what I did and they love what I did. And then I said, listen, and I, I told them, you have to do this way if you want to build what you're doing in your country. You can't be the only guy and getting you all the credit. You need, you need all, like, it's like an army. You have soldiers, you know what I'm saying? The, the president sends the army to fight or Navy. He don't go out and do everything. So you need soldiers. You got to get, you got to get, you got to recruit people. And as you recruit more kids and you teach more kids, you can throw an event and it'll be bigger and bigger and bigger. And you never know where it's going to go, but it's better. My mother always told me it's better to try and fail than fail to try. And, you know, my mom was like a prophet, man. She used to tell me so many things. And I would just sit there and thinking, well, what does she mean by that? You know, but as I grew older, I learned, learned, and I learned. And I always told them, education, education, you know, because they noticed I was, uh, I, I paid for my own medical school. I went to phlebotomy and EKGs. Then I did dialysis technician for 13 years. Then I got into the police department. I did plumbing, electrical work. I did carpentry. I did, you know, I was doing so many city jobs. I work in a school right now. I work for the Board of Ed. You know, I'm a custodian, you know. I've done so many jobs, and I learned so much things. And my mother always said, the more you learn, nobody can never take back. So you learn something, I can't teach you something. Say, you know what, Des, I want it back. No. Once you got it, it's in your brain, it's yours. So I kind of woke up a lot of these young kids to let them know that you don't just don't have to live because many people think hip-hop is the way it is oh you, i live hip-hop and i'm like what do you mean by you live hip-hop because you live hip-hop you're trying to tell me you live poor and you don't have to be poor to live hip-hop you could be rich and live hip-hop and you could do many other things when you live hip-hop so yeah when we were younger in the hip-hop we didn't have them we didn't have I, I didn't grow up with a lot of stuff you know we were poor but, you know, struggling and, you know, making that way to, to grow and get better things and get what you want, it, 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 it's a fight, but you got to fight the fight. You got you to gotta keep trying, never give up. You want to be a doctor? Be a doctor. Don't worry about it. You know, sometimes uh, the dancing is just your little thing for now, and then it'll help you get to bigger and better things. Mm-hmm. You know, and I always tell people, edu- I always want to tell kids to educate themselves learn about plumbing in everywhere in the world they need a plumber everywhere in the world they need an electrician everywhere in the world they need a a guy who does refrigeration because you know you live in a house you need water you need water so you need a plumber in case a pipe breaks and you can't fix it somebody got to fix it you need light 
you want to run extension or you need, you know, you want to put a washing machine dryer, you got to know electrician work. You ain't going to do it yourself, you know? And I tell, tell these people, kids today, like, you really don't lose on education. You got you to gotta grow. And I try to be example. So when they see that all the work I've done in this, you know, or I'm working for the city, I still do what I love, you know, is to help, help my community, you know? And I, I do other things for the community besides dancing, you know? I feed the homeless, you know? I like to do that a lot. I get, I usually have a, in the Dollar Jam, I used to bring, tell people, instead of paying a dollar, bring a can of food. Yep. And then I will go to a homeless place mm-hmm. and then me and Kevsky will go out and feed the homeless. Yep, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not only about dancing. I do other things. But I, I do things because that's the way I am. I'm always a giver. Mm. I like to give. You know? Giving in a culture of getting. It's a great chapter in, in, in one of our books. Um, Ralph, your, your work spans nearly three decades from dancing to DJing to organizing to traveling to teaching. You come from a neighborhood, Bushwood, Brooklyn, a lot of deep history. And now this history has exploded and basically it's almost like the world's history now. What is the lasting impact on that on yourself and how has that helped you develop throughout all of these years that you've been in this work? And one more thing I would like to add to that is you've been very, very consistent. And not only have you been consistent, you've been independent. Uh, this, this comes from your pocket or from a collective of people that you work with that you get together to raise money. How, how did you build resiliency to keep doing this work because it's not easy for th- nearly three decades. Yeah, I, I, I want, you know, before I was working two, two do- jobs, you know, and one job, one of the, my second job, I would take like always one or $200 every time I got paid and put it away and put it away and put it away. And if I DJ a jam, I will, I will take that money and, and do it to, to have the events. You know what I'm saying? Um, I tried to reach out to a lot of sponsors, but there was time sponsors that I tried to reach out to. Um, I guess there was a problem with other dance, you know, famous dance crews out there that, that they had sponsored and didn't do the right thing with the sponsors. And the sponsors didn't want to take a chance. They thought I was just like these other guys. And I was like, listen, what you did with them is you, what happened with them ain't going to happen with me. I'm a different character. You know what I'm saying? But I couldn't, if, if I depended on people, nothing would happen. So I had to do it myself. And that was, even though I, even though I struggle, I, I have to tell you, I struggle, man. I struggle. Um, there was times I took, I took time away from my family to make things happen or to teach class and do this. And that was hardly, you know, almost not like, I won't say not home, but I will say 50% of the time, I'm always, you know, coming out of work to come out of work and go to another job. And then the weekends I'm out there teaching and doing this and that. And it, and then I had to slow down, you know, and then I got one job and I spent more time with my family and I got to do a little bit of what I wanted to do. 
So, but to this day, I still have to take money out of my pocket. I, you know, I just feel like, you know what? I, I, I don't want nobody to come in, like, especially a lot of these uh, people, in the, you know, commercial big people, they'll give you all this money, but then they want to control you, you know, and they want to take over what you're doing. So I figured I'm just going to do it by myself. I'll do the best I could do. I know God's going to help me. And I know the people who I work around who really believe knows about me are going to help me anyway. So I'll just make the best of it, you know, and that's what I continue to do. Beautiful. And lastly, but lastly, what, what's your advice to anyone who wants to do similar to you, Ralph, someone in their community who sees there's not much going on, whether they want to, make people draw pictures, maybe they want to draw murals, whether they want to get people together to make poetry or read books together. What is your advice to organizers, people that want to bring people together? Well, they have to build, like I said, like they have to build the soldiers. They have to do a, a program. Um, Cause there's a lot of programs out there. I know maybe I, I know for here, there's a lot of programs or, or churches or, there's got to be some some activity place that they can lend them the place uh, one or two hours, twice a day, and promote with some certain amount of kids or youth and let them come in and they'll spread the word. And then more kids will come and they'll learn and learn. When you see in a year, you maybe have 100, 200 kids now. And now the, the, the what's going, the movement that's happening is going to make a noise. And you know, the problem is going to get bigger and bigger. Then you can see things getting to another level. That's where you're going to have the opportunity to make your dream come true. If that's what you, if that's what you're looking at it. If you're looking at it as money at, in the first beginning, sometimes people want to make this a business, which is okay. Um, but if if, it, if it's not making noise and there's no movement, then it, you know, especially something like old school. When you're doing something old school. Everybody's into that new generation stuff, that decade. Whatever's in that decade, they want to do that at that time. But if you want to do something, you want to bring something back from 20, 30 years ago, a lot of these kids maybe not, not going to be interested because, oh, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. But if you have, a, if you use your mind to say, well, let me grab these kids that want to do it and let me teach them, they'll teach their friends and they'll make a movement, then the movement will work. Mm. You have to try. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but you gave it your gotta give it your best. Mm. Gotta give it your best. I think that's a good place to end. We have to give it our best. Um, Ralph, thank you so much for being on all power to the developing. Thank you all so much for your work in the uh Bushwick community and your continued further work that you continue to do today. Um, where can people find you if they would like to get in contact with Ralph Casanova? Well, now that we have Facebook, it's uh, Ralph King Uprock, K-I-N-G-R-O-U-P-R-O-C-K at uh, Casanova at Facebook or kinguprock at yahoo.com. It's my email. And just give me a, a, a shout out and uh, I'll be glad to call you back and help you whatever I, I can help you with. And if you need music, I'll be glad to give you music and, you know, whatever you need to help. I'll be there to help you. All righty. King of Brock, the helper, the giver. 
and the community activist. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of All Power to the Developing. We are available on all major platforms. And I would just like to read one comment we have from a listener. This is from Vivi Carrillo, all the way from Brazil, saying that she loved episode 23, Critical Hip Hop, Critical Revolutionary Hip Hop, which features Spirit Child. I love the idea of hip hop pedagogy. As a textbook author, I feel inspired to create. And that is a little comment from Vivi Carrillo, all the way from Brazil. Thank you, everyone, for listening to All Power to Developing. Please follow, like, subscribe, comment. Show us all the support that we would love to have from you. Thank you so much, and take care, everyone. All Power to the Developing was made possible in part by Growing Social Therapeutics, the Baylor Wolf Fund.